life is spent on the road. Pastor Julie and Dan just got back from a 3,000-mile road trip. That's almost 25% of the way to what the average American drives each year, which is a little over 13,000 miles. Now, of course, it, it varies from person to person how much they drive. The statistics show that, that women drivers make more trips, but men average more miles. And married people living in a town or country area in the Midwest drive the most of all Americans. And that would be us. Minnesotans, as a whole, average 17,000 miles a year. While California, the state that's supposedly in love with their cars, they average only 12,000 miles a year. Go figure. Of course, cars aren't the only way that people get around. Some people bike, others walk. The Mayo Clinic says that the average person walks a mile and a half to two miles per day. And if you're a 10,000-step-a-day person, you are doing about five miles a day. That adds up to 1,800 miles a year, which is farther than walking from here to Miami, Florida. <laughs> now, of course, this uh, talk about miles and, and mileage and such uh, may not seem like it has any biblical connection. So why, why bring that up? Well, I bring it up because a lot of the people that Jesus meets he meets on the roads of life. Yes, Jesus taught in the synagogues and he was there at the temple, but most of the stories that we hear about him are about him meeting people while out on the road. People are just going about their daily lives and they run into Jesus and he does something and their hope is restored. Like the ten men with leprosy in Luke 17. Cut off from society because of their awful disease, suffering with sores, with no relief. They led a, led a pretty hopeless existence until they meet Jesus on the road. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourself to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Or there's the woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. She too led a pretty hopeless existence because none of the doctors could help her. And she spent all their money until Jesus came walking down the road. It's in uh, Mark chapter five, or chapter 5. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hand on her so she'll be healed and live. And so Jesus went with him. And a large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. I know some of you know that experience. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in a crowd and touched his cloak. 
because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. She could hope once more for a life free from pain and financial worry. And then there's the the blind man in Bethsaida in Mark chapter 8. They came to Bethsaida, and some people brought a blind man and begged Jesus to touch him. He took the blind man by the hand and led him outside the village. When he had spit on the man's eyes and put his hands on him, Jesus said, do you see anything? He looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking around. Once more, Jesus put his hands on the man's eyes. Then his eyes were opened, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. Why Jesus led him out of the town to heal him, I don't know. But there is Jesus on the road again, and another man has his hope restored. And perhaps the most famous of all encounters with Jesus on the road is Paul's encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus. Paul is going there to capture or maybe even kill Christians. And suddenly he encounters a blinding light and the voice of Jesus. And instead of receiving his sight like the man at Bethsaida, he is left temporarily blind. And he comes to faith. But we're getting ahead of ourselves here because that doesn't happen until after Jesus has gone to heaven. And this spring, we're looking at what Jesus did in the 40 days that he walked around on this earth between his resurrection and when he ascended. And then we're going to add on the the next 10 days after that until we get to the coming of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost. So we've got 50 days and seven chapters of the Bible. And during that same 50-day period, we're going to look at all these things that Jesus does after the resurrection and before his ascension. But in every one of them, we see that Jesus brings hope again. It's a time for hope. Well, today we're going to look at Jesus' encounter with two hopeless people on the road to Emmaus. And to set the stage, let's go over the timing here. A couple weeks ago was Easter. You remember the Easter story? How on Easter morning, Mary and and Mary, some of the other women, go to the tomb. They find it empty. They meet Jesus. Some of the disciples get there, but all they see is the empty tomb. They don't see Jesus. And then Easter night, Jesus appears to the, the disciples, and they see him resurrected. He says, peace be with you. But there's one person that that wasn't there, and that's the disciple Thomas, doubting Thomas, because he doubted that his friends could have seen Jesus. And a week later, he's with the other disciples, and Jesus shows up again. And that was last week's lesson. Well, today we're going to go back a little bit in time to the period between when Mary encounters Jesus in the morning and the disciples encounter Jesus in the evening, we're going to go to Easter Sunday afternoon. And that's where the story of the two travelers 
on the road to Emmaus takes place. Now, remember something about Sundays at the time. Sundays at the time were, were not the day to, to lay around and catch a ball game or take a nap. Sunday was the first day of the week. In fact, if you look at most calendars, it's still there at the first day of the week, right? It's not the weekend. We call it the weekend. It's not the weekend. It's the week beginning. At least Sunday is. It was a regular work day. It was the day to go back to work, to go back to your ordinary life after your Sabbath and your day of rest. And, and in this case, it was a special Sabbath, a special time, because it has been the Passover. And many people had poured into Jerusalem during that Passover time, the time at which Jesus was killed. Now, that's the, the setting for our story. The two people are heading home on Sunday, on the first day of the week, after the Passover holiday. And as they walk the road, their hearts are heavy. Because when they killed Jesus, they killed their hope. Little do they know that Jesus is on the road again. You find the story in the 24th chapter of Luke. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. Now, I don't know why they were kept from recognizing him. I mean, did he look different somehow? You know, everyone else who saw him after the resurrection could recognize him. But Maybe, maybe he looked a little different to them. Or maybe in their grief and despair, it left such a cloud of, over their thoughts that they, they didn't even notice that it was Jesus. Didn't even notice his hands had been pierced with nails. Or, or is it simply that the resurrection was too good to grasp and, and Jesus was there, we all would have seen him, but but they just couldn't see it because it was too good to be true. And you've probably been there a time or two, haven't you? When life was so hard and your hope was so small that in the moment you didn't realize that Jesus was with you, right there by your side. It's like that old footprints in the sand poem. It's only afterwards that you realize that he was carrying you. In the moment, all you can see is how messed up the world is. Verse 17, he asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know these things that have happened there in these days? What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. We had hoped. Back in the day when Jesus was walking around, anything seemed possible. Blind men could see, bleeding women could be healed with a touch, and even the redemption of Israel 
The healing of this crazy, messed up world seemed possible. But now things seem more hopeless than ever. He goes on. And what's more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early in the morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Well, can you imagine that? Having Jesus leading your Bible study? Explaining everything? But even then, even having knowledge of the scriptures wasn't enough to restore their hope. Still, they were hopeless. But they hadn't forgotten their manners. And so they invited Jesus, as the day drew to a close, to stay with them, have dinner with them. And Jesus accepts. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So they went in, so he went in to stay with them. And just when you think they are never going to understand, and just when you think their eyes will never be open to the fact that the risen Jesus is alive and with them, Jesus pulls his signature move. Do you know what a signature move is? A signature move is something so, so connected with a person that anyone who sees that move knows who it is. You know, like, it's sort of like Michael Jackson's moonwalk, right? You could just see a silhouette of him doing that, and you know instantly who it is. Or, for you basketball fans of an older generation, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's skyhook. Instantly recognizable. Or maybe uh, if you're a wrestling fan, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin's Stone Cold Stunner. A signature move. So you know what a signature move is. And here is Jesus' signature move. Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Does that sound familiar to you? Of course it does. I say those words every single week. As I take the bread, and as we recall that on the night before Jesus gave his life for us, there at the Last Supper with his friends, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, broken for you. It's communion. Now, as far as we know, Cleopas and, and his friend were not with the twelve disciples there at that first communion, but they had undoubtedly heard about it. 
And when Jesus does this on that Sunday afternoon, the light bulbs go off. It's Jesus. You ever hear of a poker tell? It's something that, that tips off other players to how good a hand you have. You try to put on a poker face and, and not give away what you're thinking, but there's a saying in poker, when playing hands, watch the hands. Watch how they handle their cards or, or play with their chips or, or even how steady their hands are. The hands can be a tell. And with Jesus, they were here. When his hands break the bread, that's his tell. And it lets you know that he has got something good. It's his signature move. And in the breaking of the bread, their eyes are opened, and they know that Jesus is with them. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem, and there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it's true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. What a difference between how they were before meeting Jesus on the road and now that they know he's alive. Their hearts are on fire, their joy is spilling out, and their hope is restored because Jesus is on the road again. And here's the thing. Jesus is still on the road, and you can meet him there, even now, in your everyday, ordinary life. And it doesn't even have to be a physical road, though it could be. You might, you might encounter Jesus today when you're out driving around or out walking around or biking because Jesus is alive and he still wants us to have hope. But it doesn't have to be a physical road. Where the road of life leads you, you may encounter Jesus. Your hearts may burn with his love. You might see miracles. And know that he's right by your side, walking with you even today. I want to share with you a story about someone who discovered that Jesus was with her through the twisting roads of life, or, or as she put it, through the twisting roller coaster of life. Jody is a twin, and she writes a blog with her twin sister, Julie, called The Design Twins. And they're not the design twins of the, the TV show of a few years ago. They're, they're much more ordinary. Jody and Julie are identical twins, but they haven't lived identical lives. While Julie got married early and settled down and started having a family, Jody was more adventurous, and, and she took her first teaching job in Morocco. Jody says that she always preferred the uncertainty of adventure to the security of the easier path. But as the years went on, Jody began to be envious of her sister, especially of her sister's family's newfound faith and church home. See, Jody was struggling. Her husband had lost the jo her, his job, so they, they went into business for themselves, but they were barely scraping by. They had to cut out all the things that they used to give her happiness, the shopping, the, the working out, the socializing. 
She says, I was ashamed of my new status and began to sink deeper into a state of self-pity and depression. We canceled our gym memberships and basically stayed home, which for this extrovert meant isolation and sadness. She wanted the joy and hope that her sister had, but didn't know how to find it. And she made excuses, blaming it on not finding the right church or blaming it on her family. She writes, neither my husband nor my boys showed the least bit of interest in finding a church. In reality, they pushed back on the idea until I felt like I was fighting a losing battle. I told myself I didn't even have time to go to the gym anymore. How was I going to find time to go to church? And then things got worse for Jody. She started having terrible migraines, and it all became too much. She says, I reached my breaking point. The stress, the anxiety, the solitude, the feeling of complete isolation from family and friends, even my sister and my husband, it had been nearly 10 years of financial stress. Worrying about how we're going to pull ourselves out without any answers or solution, all this finally triggered a physical reaction, and I was brought to my knees. But at 3 a.m., through the pain and tears, as my migraine started to lift, I saw my migraine as God's gift to me. It was his way of calling to me and telling me that when all else fails, he would be there for me. I started to feel relief in those moments, and I felt grateful for Jesus, who I knew was there for me. Jody had an Emmaus Road experience. In her sadness and pain, she discovered that Jesus had been with her. Now, there's more to Jody's story than this, but I, but I tell you the story not because it, it's so unusual or, or so dramatic, but really because it's so ordinary. Jody was walking through the ordinary winding path of life, just like Cleopas and her friends were and his friend were just walking the ordinary path between Jerusalem and their home in Emmaus. And Jesus shows up and restores their hope. And that can happen to any of us. And at any time. Because Jesus is still on the road. Still on the ordinary paths of our daily lives. And he's still waiting to greet us. To pick us up. To heal us work miracles in our lives and to remind us that when all else fails he is still there right beside us and yes even today in the breaking of the bread we can see the risen Jesus and hope wins hope wins again let's pray Jesus, uh, we sometimes are desperately searching for hope. Or sometimes we're just numb and walking through the normal routines of life, not even thinking about hope or hopelessness. Sometimes we may even be filled with joy. But there is no situation in our life and no place that we might go 
where you are not already there. So Lord, help us to see you. Open our eyes that we may know your presence. Even today as we share in communion. May it be a visible sign. Your signature move. When you break the bread. And say this is my body. Broken for you. We thank you, Jesus, for being with us, even today. Amen.